You are now listening to this episode of Tea with Keaton. So, for the people who will be listening to this, let the people know who you are. Um, I'm Viv. I'm a friend of Keith who <laughs> has graciously let me be on this podcast. I love her podcast, Tea with Keith. Um, so I'm very surreal to be a guest today <laughs> Girl, oh my gosh you're like uh, i'm like my my face i'm like like literally smiling from ear to ear right now i appreciate you i'm thankful that you're on here because you know i feel like what i want to gain is like learning from you know people that i know and then also we have the conversation that also makes you know people listen but um mm-hmm. so yeah i'm thankful that you're able to you know Okay, so, and I, I'm always curious with, like, this question because, um, you know, everyone has different recollections, but how we met. I know the first time I saw you, but I want to I wanna get your perspective on, like, how, how we came to know each other. <laughs> yeah, I think so my best recollection possible so i remember we had so we were in the same dorm freshman year and we were in bulk and we had we had the same ra because so many sports in bulk like they just grouped a bunch of people together so i remember we had the same ra we had like an intro meeting and i just remember like being very well your like bubbly personality caught my attention because you were was, i forgot ari's name but you were the only one like participating and like getting to know everyone i was like who is this person and then i can't i think we did live on the same floor like you happen to live on my floor too with uh, your two other roommates and then from there i think we just hit it off or i think yeah, we did because we also had a lot of classes together too mm-hmm. um i forgot i know I know from that moment, I was like, okay, I think you either came to talk to me. Yeah, you definitely can talk to me. And I was like, okay, I like this girl. <laughs> I was like, I was so shy back then. I definitely know I did not take the initiative. So I was just like so disoriented from everything. I was like, I don't know. I think I'm. Uh, and then <laughs> literally, you were. <laughs> so we had a lot of classes at that time. And so it was just naturally like we all gravitated. gravitated towards each other um yeah. and then yeah that's what that's what I like <laughs> no literally so I, yeah <laughs> no I remember like moving in and you know like obviously we're all trying to you know get our stuff into our room and I just remember like seeing you like down the hall and I was like she looks fun like I'm gonna go talk to her and then yeah uh, okay, I think her RA, I think her name was Shafika, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we were, like, and then, yeah, and then, you know, obviously, like, living together, like, we had that, like, close proximity, and then, you know, classes, right. and then, obviously, like, you know, the crew, and then we all just were, like, hanging, and it just, like, it just, it just flows so naturally, you know, like, it felt it really good, I was, like, yeah, I'm, like, okay, Cornell is, like, a different, the college is, like, a whole nother, you know, thing. So, you know, exactly. it was like, oh, like, friendship, yay, oh, my God, ah, queens, fix up now, fix up now. You know, so, yeah, I just, I'm I'm glad that I met you and I'm so happy, you know, obviously, like, we're still so close and, like, in touch, and I'm just appreciative. I, I appreciate you. Likewise, likewise. I was like, I think ever since, when I saw you, I was like, no, this this is this is a girl that knows how to hang. But, you know, it's like a different, it's like you're a different type of person because you're bubbly, you're resilient, but you're also like a good friend. I think if you were to look in the dictionary, friend, your name would be in the definition, like what a friend should be. Like, oh. you are the epitome of a friend. And I think that's why, I mean, like our bond and the crew is so close, but then I think that's why... Mm-hmm. A lot of people gravitated towards you because you just have that personality. So okay. I'm very blessed to know you and to have you as a friend. Oh my gosh. I'm over here like literally if you could see my face right now, I'm just like ah <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, you know how we do. I so when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, 
Was it? But you, did you automatically know? I'm just curious. I just want to pick your brain. Did I automatically know what I wanted to talk about? Yeah, I'm just curious. Cause like, you know, I always ask people like when you know they say right, like, yeah, right, they want right. to be a guest. I'm like, okay, well, what's the scope? <laughs> right. No, that's a good question. Um, I think that at first I was like, okay. I mean, I I would like to be a savant, like just to know everything, like one of those people who just like you know, just knows every facet of every sphere in life. Um, but I think that kind of draws me away from going with what I know because I, I think I, as I adapt and, like, try to consume everything around me, I get too consumed by everything. And I think that mm-hmm. it's good to be interested in a lot of things, but I think that mm-hmm. you should find one thing or two things that you're passionate about and go from there because you can't do everything. There are other people with other mm-hmm. talents who will shine in other areas that you're interested in. So it's like, it was kind of what was happening when I was thinking of this topic where I was, I mean, obviously a lot is going on and has transpired since <laughs> like last year. I think I was joking with my sisters. I was like, I think everything started going downhill after that video of the lady telling uh, the girl to calm down. And the, <laughs> like oh, after that video oh, was released, everything no. just went downhill. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that um, we've been consuming a lot lately, but I was like, what have I always been passionate about since, like, high school? And to me, that was, you know, food, food justice, food insecurity, and I think Mm -hmm. it's something that people are, you know, touching on right now in this pandemic, especially since we had the shelter in, but I was kind of had Mm -hmm. that, like, go with what you know or, like, what you're most passionate about, so that's Mm -hmm. how I came to this topic. I feel that. I feel that. I'm with that. And yeah, I, I'm curious because, um, you know, like I said, this is this is really for, you know, you to let us know, like, your understanding of how, when you were saying food justice, I was like, honestly, I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this year has been, like, a lot, and obviously, like, the pandemic made a lot of people lose their jobs, and so there was also uncertainty in that. And, of course, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, being food, water, right. shelter, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess when you said that, too, it kind of made me think because I honestly think I kind of take that for granted just because, you know, I I have stability right now, but... I guess my first question to kick this off is, do you want to start with the problems that were present before the pandemic and then what got worse during the pandemic? Or we can kind of, like, start wherever, honestly. No, yeah, that's a smart place to start, for sure. I think that food insecurity has been around for a long time. I mean, obviously, when I was a high schooler in, like, 2012, 2013, <laughs> or, um, like, that was the first time I heard about it uh, in some, I guess, my learning about it, had it been existent prior to that yes mm-hmm. but that was the first time I've ever seen or heard of the topic and to me it really struck me because I think that in this country like in America like a country of vast wealth where people like come to escape their troubles in other countries with the hopes of accomplishing something you still see like people living in squalor you still see people mm-hmm. not having a meal to eat like people picking from the trash to eat food I'm like it doesn't make sense and I think that watching we watched a documentary in my topics and bio class, I think it was Food Inc. that just talked about like the food systems and you know food deserts and things like that. So food insecurity has definitely been a problem before the pandemic, and that's you know the inability to access healthy foods and culturally appropriate foods. And I think mm. that I think food is a right. Like having access to healthy food is a right. And a lot of people don't have the means to do that. And for me, that always made me feel some type of way. Because my grandma was always like, you know, food nourishes the soul. It, you know, it's the body and the soul and the mind. And it's just like, well, if people don't have this, like, it is connected. If you don't have access to a healthy meal, similar to, similar yeah. to if you don't have access to a home, like, you're not going to perform at your best. You're not going to do your best. It, exactly. It puts you at a disadvantage. And I think that 
it was pervasive in our nation and globally before this pandemic, but the pandemic kind of blew it out of proportion and exacerbated the condition because now you have people who are sheltering in. They maybe lost their jobs, as you said. Kids are at home. And for a lot of children who are food insecure, most of their meals come from, you know, the school breakfast at the school lunch. So if you're right, forced yeah. to stay at home now and school's closed, like where do you get your meal? And the things with like, you know, the food banks were running out of supplies because a lot of people were flocking to them. People were losing their jobs and they didn't have a paycheck, you know, caught between the choice of rent or food or, you know, my family member got COVID, unfortunately. And I had to, like, you know, scrape up money to pay for the hospital bills. And then, like, you just, I think it really shed a light on the fact that I think everyone says that what we have structurally to help people access food, like the food banks or, you know, SNAP, their safety nets. But I think that, I think Dr. Haskins said this when she taught our controversies of inequality class. She Mm -hmm. said that safety nets are meant to, like, catch people before they fall. And that's not what these policies do. They're like, people have already fallen and it's just like a bandage, like trying to fix all the problems. Like you have a leaky hose and you're trying to put bandages on it. It's like, no, you need to replace the entire hose. And so it's Mm -hmm. like all of these policies to address the food insecurity are bandages. And I think that's being seen in this case because the policies that we have in place to help those people are not sufficient enough to help the number of people that are becoming food insecure now as a result of this pandemic. So I think it was, mm-hmm. just to go back to your original question, that it was already a problem beforehand, and we were doing things um, at a community level, local level, and then at a federal level to try and, like, quell the spread and decrease the number of people who were food insecure, but the pandemic was yeah. just like, all right. <laughs> Everything was gone away. Everything, exactly. So so, yeah, and here we are. I, I just want to say, like, okay, so you said something that, like, really stuck out to me, which I guess I hadn't really, really put into words. Okay, so you said healthy food is a right. That really stuck out to me because everyone deserves to have the the bare minimum to survive, to be able to mm-hmm. function as a human being, to be able to perform in school, at work, and mm-hmm. everyone everyone living deserves to have that. Exactly. So I think saying that allowed is also one of like the early step or policy change. Um mm-hmm. since clearly not everyone is seeing it that way as it is. Mm-hmm. Um also when you were talking about maybe I was kind of doing some self-reflection, too, when you were um, speaking out about that, because I haven't, like, directly, uh, like, attempted to tackle this problem, but I have volunteered. Like, I've volunteered with the Atlanta Food Bank through hosting uh, canned food drive and donating getting people to sign up for the hunger run and then me and a couple of my friends we've also served food at the nicholas house which is basically a house here in atlanta where families who are homeless can stay i believe up to like three months because they you know want to help them get back on their feet it's not a like here's a permanent you know situation but you know we go in and like you know we cook the food and we serve it and so you know you're saying these things and i'm like okay i've i've seen it obviously like i I haven't experienced it, you know, in my lifetime, which I'm like so appreciative of. Mm-hmm. But it it makes me think. My next question: So, how do you, or like, what are, what have you done, or what are you currently doing to help be someone alleviating these issues that surround food insecurity? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think that I always, as you said, I do a self reflection of like, what what can I be doing more? Because I think when after undergrad, I was like, okay, great, I have this knowledge. What can I do? So I, you know, signed up for City Harvest in my city. And that kind of rescues foods from grocery stores and restaurants and redistributes it across the boroughs of New York to mm-hmm. people who normally wouldn't, could, or cannot afford, uh, you know, produce and things of that sort. And I think that, I don't know, I kind of felt, I feel like those things are helpful, right? Like those mm-hmm. type of programs are definitely helpful and they're definitely doing a lot to get people access to foods that they normally would not have access to either due to, like, their community's infrastructure or affordability. But I'm just, like, I think just generally speaking, I don't like coming in. I think my art and my program that I'm, our teacher taught us this, 
where it's like you shouldn't come in to solve a problem at like the middle, the middle level. If you, if you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like people, yeah. instead of solving the problem itself, we're, we're throwing solutions at it when we haven't fixed the sign of the issue, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, it's poverty. People are poor. Like people cannot access food or people live in the bad neighborhoods where they don't have supermarkets. They don't have the, right transportation to get them to larger supermarkets or in their stores that they do have like the produce and the food like that are overpriced. So I think I tried to volunteer as much as I could, but I always felt like, mm, this is not really solving like the main issue. Like what mm-hmm. is making people food insecure? Like why is that a thing? How can we make it so that we do not need to have these initiatives where people can just go out on their own, use their own, you know, have that financial independence to afford these things and mm-hmm. to not have to, to not have like this charity to fix the, the problem. And I think that, I mean, I'm not discrediting these programs at all. Like I think they're oh, not very beneficial, especially since, you know, a lot of the federal assistance will not last an entire family for a month. And so having these food distribution programs is essential to kind of supplement uh, whatever aid they're getting federally. But I've always felt, me personally, iffy personally about, okay, if we're, like, are we adding more fuel to the fire or are we solving the problem? Like, are we going to extinguish the fire completely? So I think what I would like to do going forward is I I think we need just huge reform in terms mm-hmm. of a community infrastructure, in terms of eliminating and tackling tackling poverty to help give people that financial independence, to help things like produce and fruits and vegetables more affordable for people, and to kind of give people the independence and the autonomy to, you know, design their own food system, have control of their agriculture, you know, have control of what their food system looks like for them and making it culturally appropriate. But I I think that I'm I'm kind of feel like sometimes like well, I'm not you know quite there yet to you know do something but I think that especially now you're no one is you can't wait for something to happen because not everyone sure. has the motive to do what you want so you kind of have mm-hmm. to stick your neck out there and see who else is ready to jump on this bandwagon and like galvanize with other people to to make your agenda loud and heard so I think what I can do better is to stop being I guess, shy or hesitant to do something because I just feel like I don't have enough expertise to say something about it. But I was like, if we keep waiting for someone else to step up, nothing's going to happen. Um, no, but I, I think, feel you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, literally, okay, because you just, like, you went through a lot of good points. Um, and I was going to say, okay, so to, like, piggyback of, like, what you just said, I used to think that, too, in regards to, okay, so at, like, an individual level, like, what leverage do I have? But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, I think this in itself, having the conversation, like, pointing out the issues is even a step in itself, like, bringing it to the light because, you know, not right. everyone is thinking about this you know, every day or even every week or maybe even at all. So, you know, mm-hmm. I definitely like, like, girl, you know, never discredit yourself. Like, you got it going on. You're extremely intelligent. Like, you have a voice. Like, you have, like, a lot of power, like, as an individual. And so, you know, I'm like, girl, drop that knowledge. Be like, yo, y'all listen up. <laughs> this needs to be said. And then, you know. But, um, You're the OG hype woman. The OG <laughs> Yeah. You are too sweet. You're like, you're literally, I think I have, wow, I've got to fucking make a joke about like having diabetes, but I'm like, wait, I probably should not make that joke right now. Um, cause like, you're so sweet. But <laughs> this is why, <laughs> this is why I could never do something live, cause, you know. But, um, okay, so you, you uh, like basically band-aid solutions and not really tackling the problem itself. And this is kind of like going back to, um, the safety net, cause obviously, yes, like, these organizations are in place. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I'd never heard of City Harvest before. I don't know if that's. Is mm-hmm. that like only in New York City, or like is there like like a City Harvest in every state, or like I just want like a little yeah. a little more clarification. So I think it's. I mean, a lot of. I'm not sure what they are called in other states or even in other countries i actually think there's one in india like mm-hmm. I, mean, I know that's very broad but like it is in india but i think that other cities and states in the united states and probably even other countries have like 
food rescuing in place mm-hmm. that I'm not sure what the name is. I know that other, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm sure that other states have something like this, but I think that City Harvest is the name of the organization that we have in New York. Um, and as I said, it, it, it and I know they had something at, like this at Cornell where it was like the food rescue team. I think definitely. Oh, yeah, what well, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that came up around our junior year, but I was like, oh, I was always really interested in that, but I didn't have the time to get involved. So I said, whenever I get back mm-hmm. to wherever I am next, this is what I'm going to be involved in. And so mm-hmm. they go around to, I know in our undergrad, they went around to like Wegmans and I actually don't know if Cornell Dining gave any food, <laughs> but I know they went around to like different groceries. <laughs> <Let's call them laughs> Yeah, I think maybe something that is a liability, understandable, but like, come on. Um, but um, they went around to different grocery stores similarly to how they they do here because I know there's some certain rules that if like certain items don't sell or you know a restaurant has extra food, it was just going to the trash. So rather than throwing yeah. it away, they come in van to pick it up, they store it in their warehouses, and then they go to like Staten Island, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. They have different pickup spots, and usually most of them are in like food desert or food swamp neighborhoods, that are, you know, like low-income marginalized communities, and that's where they distribute the food to people. And it, it has, and that's one of their main projects, but they also set up stands in grocery stores and will teach people how to, you know, use certain ingredients to cook healthy meals and culturally mm-hmm. appropriate meals uh, for people. And then they'll do different stands. They have nutrition education courses as well. And all of this is, you know, free for the people who receive them. Like, you don't need to pay yeah. and and as long as the supply is there, it's good. And I feel like this is something that's at a local level where you have a lot of community organizations that are stepping up to kind of do more than what is being done from the top. And I think mm-hmm. that, as I said, it's a good way to to supplement whatever someone is receiving, especially if they can't afford it given their income or given, you know, maybe their their SNAP benefits. I think it's good because a lot of the, a lot of the money. So just to go back to flying all over the place, but SNAP is no, a no worries, no worries. Program. <laughs> it's the supplemental nutrition assistance program, and they that is the federal program. They mm-hmm. base what you get per month and like your EBT card based on your income. And I think the reason why I call it, I think it's it's a good program for sure, but I think mm-hmm. it's flawed in that income is tricky. Like basically something based on income is tricky because it doesn't really tell you how much of that income is going into what. And what I mean by yeah. that is that let's say someone is, you know, X amount of dollars below the poverty line, which is how they determine it. And then they, like, break it up by the number of people in your family, and that determines how much you get. So if you are making a low income, that qualifies you for SNAP, and you have your family to feed, that income doesn't – it doesn't – it's not telling the people how much of that income is going to something like housing or, you know, child care mm-hmm. or medical services. So you can end up getting an amount that is on paper what qualifies you to get that amount. But in actuality, when you get that, it's not enough to, like, do what needs to be done. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what to feed your family in, in, in essence. So that's why I think things like City Harvest are good because people, when they get their EVT cards, they kind of have to make the food spread, like make the food last. And, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of produce has a poor shelf life. So what are right. people going to buy with their money? They're going to get things that have a long shelf life that they can keep, you know, from the beginning of the month to the end of the month. That's why I think things like City Harvest or, you know, even like community garden programs where you can give people access to fresh produce on a more regular basis so they can, you know, have those essential components in their diet is important. But then, I, I mean, given the pandemic now, the reason why I say that that's also a band-aid solution is because now those resources are being exhausted. Like, they're running out of food. The food banks and things like that and the char- all the charitable affairs are running out of food. It's like, okay, what's going on? Like, how are we going to meet the demand if the supply is, like, dwindling? And that's mm-hmm. why at the crux of it, I'm like, okay, what what can we do 
to, you know, fully ensure that people have, you know, either a good, a better safety network, more savings, and more savings means giving people, like, a livable wage because huh. things like you – you can make money, but with things like housing and other things that like I said, that can quickly wipe away the rest of your income that you need to have food, mm-hmm. to buy food, or to save. And I think that, you know, a lot of that making people financially secure and paying them an amount that allows them to do that will kind of help build up the provide the financial resources to get things even when things go south. And for me, what it comes down to is just fixing poverty and paying people livable wages. And I think that a big reason that food security is a food insecurity is a thing is either because people don't have access to it or people cannot afford it. And so mm-hmm. they skimp out on eating healthily because they don't make enough money to to afford food for their family and you know, pay their rent or pay their medical bills or pay for their child care services, et cetera. So I, that's why I call them Band-Aid solutions. <laughs> and it's no. shortly answer. No, that's the thing. Sorry, it's, like it's so long. Thing. No, okay, the, girl. I Like I said, I'm here to, like, I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. Like, I, I, I appreciate you. You never have to worry about, you know, just, like, when you run it with something, you better keep running because I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be taking a little notes. I'm like, ooh. Um, so no worries at all. But it's, it's interesting because, so, you know, you're saying this, but it also makes me slightly, okay, so do you think that, like, the second wave is actually going to happen and be a lot worse than, like, what we've already experienced? I mean, we all know history repeats itself. Like, with the Spanish flu and the whole second wave came, I feel like, I feel personally that things have opened a little too quickly. And I feel like until we have a way to really stop the spread thing I, I i don't i don't want to be pessimistic but you know the evidence is there for there to be a second wave especially i understand people want to enjoy their summers like i do too but i also am thinking about the people who will have to deal with all of this if a second wave happens so it's like i think that we kind of rushed to opening everything because mm-hmm. we're like all right cases are dropping cool you know let's open this let's open that like, let's have a soft open here. I'm just like, it should be a little bit slower. Like, I, I think in New York, we're in phase three now. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We were just phase one, like, a few days ago. <laughs> so, yeah. and I think that the people who are going to suffer the, the most from this are the essential workers, you know, the housekeepers in the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, the PAs, everyone, you know, the grocery store clerks and, you know, yeah. cashiers, the people who have to be at the front line when all of this happens, when all of this happens, when all of it was happening a few months ago. So mm-hmm. I think that we all should be a little bit more responsible to ensure that, you know, we're, we can have fun, we can enjoy our summer, but we're still, you know, wearing a mask, social distancing, not going to a freaking pool party with like 80,000 people. <laughs> yeah, and, no, and I we're not doing it. It's a hoax. And I think that we really, like, the first few months of it were just so depressing. It's like, what is going on? Like, people were, like, running out of toilet papers in the stores. Girl, yes. stores were clear. I I knew I was, like, late to the way. That's how I knew I was late. I was like, why is everything gone? (laughs) Like, not why, but, like, I I didn't realize that, like, people were, I didn't realize it was, like, as, crazy it was like already crazy and i was like i guess like late to the game to realize exactly. how crazy it was um mm-hmm. and it's like i guess it makes me think so when you talk about like resources becoming exhausted because like mm-hmm. the demand is now higher and like the supply is less i mm-hmm. get it's like it makes me it like makes me think okay if if i mean hopefully it doesn't but you know if this comes back to like bias in the ass even harder like even like more intense it mm-hmm. makes me like it makes me wonder do you think like do you think that how much time do you think we need to attack this problem cuz i'm really trying to I'm really trying to think, like, if if it does get worse this year, how can the systems that we already have in place, like, there are Band-Aids, like you said, but do you think the Band-Aids will, like, hold us, like, till the end of this year? Or, I mean, this is just, like, a wild out there, like, hell and there question, mm-hmm. but um, it's just making me think if it gets worse, can the Band-Aids at least get us through to, like, 
2021? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a question that I've been, I guess, thinking of as well or, you know, grappling with too. It's like in all the readings and like the podcasts that I've been listening to. And I think that maybe I I read this somewhere. I think they're starting like a pandemic EBT, which is like giving people more funds per month to afford food. But I think that in terms of supplying, I read an article earlier when this was going on that a lot of the farmers were having to throw away all their produce and what they harvested and, you know, killing the animals because there weren't any distributors to distribute them because the restaurants were closed. There weren't any people to distribute them to because the restaurants were closed, schools were closed. Even if they could distribute them, I think a lot of the people who distribute the food at a local level, like food banks and whatnot, they don't have the capacity to store them, like freezers and, you know, large-scale oh, items yeah, to ensure the shelf life of those foods. And so they have to throw them away because usually they would give them to schools, restaurants, et cetera, but they were closed. And they're like, okay, who who do we give those to? So I think one avenue is that – and also a lot of the farm workers, which is a whole other issue, were getting, you know, the virus, and there was no one there to like, slaughter the meat or pick the crop after they harvested. So it's just like yeah. everything was going to waste. So I think to to – I guess alleviate this, we need to find, if schools are still going to be closed, if restaurants are going to close again, maybe providing more room to local distributors to store the food so Mm -hmm. that they have, you know, I guess a pantry, so to speak, of food, Mm -hmm. and they don't feel that it will run out in their communities and distributing it to people. And I think that obviously the people who, the farmers should be compensated because it would be nice to give to have free lunch for everyone, but, you know, that's just not the way it works. And people, you know, yeah. invest a lot of time into cultivating the farm and the produce and whatnot. And I think most of the distributors who they normally would distribute it to do pay for it. So I think that their system should be set up between um, the people producing the, the goods and then the people at the local levels who are distributing the food for free and mm. so that they have a place to store it. So, you know, people can't get something at the grocery store, they can't afford it, and they go to the food bank, they don't have to risk or worry about that they won't get the supply they need. And I think that will help, rather than, like, the food going to waste, it can be divvied up into, you know, more useful classes rather than just, like, throwing it, throwing it away. And I think that should be something long-term, like making community agriculture more of a thing, Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, community gardens, putting the economy on, like, are having, letting communities have the options, like, support their own agricultural systems rather than there being so many hands between, like, the yeah. fields to the table, if that makes sense. You, no, I, okay, this, this is all good stuff because literally what you're saying actually reminds me of something, um, when I was in high school, I did this program. It was it was phase P. It was yeah, phase P. It was mm-hmm. um, food and agribusiness industry summer program. And literally, one of the things that we said, like during the duration of this whole pro- program, was food from the farm gate to dinner plate. So being able mm-hmm. to like look at those processes and like as you're saying this, it's literally giving me all of these flashbacks um, to what we were learning, you know, in the program. And it's interesting too that. I'm glad you brought up, um, so in terms of, like, having food but not being able to, like, store it. Because, honestly, truly, I wasn't even thinking in terms of food, like, being wasted. I know that we kind of touched on, like, earlier, if there's, like, a liability issue that's, you know, present. It's, like, Mm -hmm. food doesn't get eaten. But I wasn't even thinking in terms of here is where the food was grown, but we need to get it to the people who actually need it. So, Mm -hmm. because that, there's. Like the more I'm like listening to you, I'm like realizing there there are like there's so there's so many steps, and mm-hmm. it's like how how can we how can we like, attack this like at, at every step? Because um, mm-hmm. it also just it makes me like like it makes me just feel like so down like there is there is food and it's mm-hmm, edible, mm-hmm. but it's. Mm-hmm having to like having it go to a waste exactly and you know versus like people going hungry like if 
that's what never made sense to me is that exactly. food is going to waste, but people are hungry. I don't understand. Exactly. Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> and like, I think that what you're saying is, like, what resonated with me when I was in high school because, like, I don't understand. Like, why am I seeing someone eating from the trash can when, like, at the end of the day, I knew that whatever was left over was thrown away. Like, I don't understand. And I think it's, like, something that I've read somewhere a while back where it's like the issue with food here is not um it's not uh, what, what was it it's the issue of food it's not that there's not a lack of food like there is it's just that the distribution of it is not like up to par <laughs> and like, mm. that's exactly what you said it's like so much food is going to waste like why there are people who need it how can we get it to the people who need it so yeah i completely agree with you yeah, literally, I'm like, I like what you just said. I think is really like, yeah, what sums it up. Like the issue being the distribution. It's there, but how can mm-hmm. we get it to the people um, who need it? Mm-hmm. I actually, um, okay, I had just like one question over here because you like mentioned this a few times, and mm-hmm. um, I wanted to make sure that I went back to it. Um, okay, let's let's rewind a little bit. Uh, you mentioned a few times access to food that was culturally appropriate. Uh, mm-hmm. I know, like, what I think of when I read that, um, mm-hmm. but can you kind of, like, expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, and I think that this is something that's often overlooked and it's something that is important, especially going back to the whole idea of, you know, agriculture. And there's so many terms when it talks about like food systems. One of them is like food sovereignty, which is saying that like people should have the right to, you know, basically man or woman just like oversee their own like agricultural systems and making sure that they have equitable systems and healthy systems that are there to enrich and provide healthy food rather than to provide profit. And I was reading an article that was talking about how you know, with the indigenous or Native American people here and how they had their lands stripped from them and basically had their whole food system toppled because of, you know, people who came and colonized their lands. And I think mm-hmm. that whenever we talk about eating healthy foods, we, the people who are encouraging healthy foods often forget that people have different traditions in terms of what they eat. And mm-hmm. just because you identify this as a, you know, as a model system, like the model doesn't fit with everyone. It's not culturally sensitive sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, what is, I think but people have different traditions rather than, you know, being forced to assimilate to something. It's like, how can we still emphasize, you know, healthy foods, but also be sensitive to different people's cultures and their own systems and their own ways. Like you could still be healthy and still, you know, acknowledge someone's culture. I think we often forget about that when policy is being made. I'm like, this is what needs to happen. Figure it out. Like find a way to follow this model of eating. When, completely saying that some people do not are not used to it. They're coming from countries or brought up in ways where it's like that's not what I see as healthy. Like healthy mm-hmm. is something completely different and, you know, I don't understand. Like I'm not gonna adhere to this because it's not something that I'm used to or it's not what, you know, is it's not what I guess in my culture as, you know, healthy. Yeah. And I think that that is really important to to focus on um when defining these food systems and you know agriculture to make sure that people have the means to cultivate their own agricultural systems that are within their tradition and i think i was reading an article about like you know the native americans and how they were pushed into like the reservations and how they basically had their Mm -hmm. whole you know traditional way of eating completely Strips when their land was taken and they were forced to adapt into this new model of eating. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, how are you going to strip away my culture from me and then take my land and produce this new system? And I have to adhere to it when it's completely something novel to me and not 
you know, what is, what is true to me and my roots. And I think that most of, I mean, we did a project in, in my program and we were looking at like surveying neighborhoods and understanding what's there or, you know, I think that a lot of that people's culture ties into a lot of like what they will or will not do. Like we want to stick to what they know. So it's like, how can yeah. we honor those systems, but also, you know, make sure that it is, they are following a pattern or they do have the means to cultivate a system that, you know, is culturally sensitive for them, if that makes sense. I kind of like went on a ramble, but I think the, like the whole no, the no, people example <laughs> is the best way to explain that, where it's like, you cannot like, take something from someone and then mold a system based on what you think and then force it upon other people without acknowledging that they have different values and, you know, different rituals that are equally as important in how they see and eat food. So it's like, okay, we should allow people to create agricultural systems that work for them and that are adhered to their traditions and cultures rather than saying, you know what, we're going to take the land, we're going to do all of this, and then this is how and you disregard. can, you know, <laughs> yeah. and disregard everything exactly, yeah. This makes me think, okay, so, all right, because you were, like, you know, talking, obviously, like, we, we within our own community, like, we should be able to, like, have more control over, like, what the agricultural processes look like for us, and it makes me think, like, I think, I think when you were talking about the community gardens, I think that definitely, in my mind, it sounds like that should be, like, a staple in every community, mm-hmm. like, the more that we talk about it. And and then, you know, the thought that comes to my mind is, like, oh, why not? Because literally, I'm thinking when I was abroad, we were um, making a community garden. But aside from, like, volunteering, when you look at when you look at our country, when you look at the whole world, like, in the individual communities, like you said, the model – it's not it's it's a model, okay? It's not it's not a one size fits all. So it makes me think mm-hmm. um like I guess I guess my like kind of question is and cause you know I'll be all over the place. Um how how would we get to the point to where we do have those community gardens in in you know, our own little pockets of society like would we would we start with i guess like elementary school kids and be like hey kids we're gonna go like set out like x amount of land for our garden and then get like students to maintain or or i guess like anybody in the community i guess like how how would we get this ball like up and rolling so that we could get to the point to where we are taking more of a stake in the food within our uh, our own communities. I guess where 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 should or where would we kind of start? Yeah, no, you have a lot of good questions. Um, I... Oh no, I don't. So you don't answer either, by the way. I'm just curious because I'm just you saying things that make me think. <laughs> no, like, and it's so good because like these are important questions, and I think that what. I, I mean, I'm thinking about them too, for sure. So it's so, so good to see we're on the same wavelength. Um, <laughs> but, you know, literally, like, I, honestly, you could be like, girl, that's a good question. Be like, yeah, I know. Like, all right, let's just because I can't answer. Don't know. <laughs> I'm like, if we had all the answers, I guess we would have, like, done all the things already, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but I think that, I think with any project, something like a community garden, you just have to first know it's the community wants it. Like, where does the where do the people? Stand? Oh yeah. Because the people make the community. You can't just go in there with because I think or like we think or a committee thinks that it will really help the people that is, that the people of the community are going to be like, yes, let's do this. So it's like I think that you really need to start with the people there. Like, what are the issues that are that they're facing and what do they think they could benefit the most. And obviously we can propose the idea, but we also have to be willing to understand that what we think is best is not always best for a community, like the people who live there, the people who, you know, struggle with whatever they struggle with. So I think that understanding where the 
community is and what they can benefit from the most is important. And I think that sometimes a lot of, you know, people that live in underserved areas are like blamed for the way they're living. They're like, well, people must want to eat this unhealthy food. They they don't want anything else. It's like, uh, no. Did you ask? Did you talk with them? Do you do, do you know what they're going through? Do you know what they want? Do you know what they think is the best solution? Do you know what they need? So I think that, first of all, community involvement is important because you don't want to make something and then it falls apart because no one, no one can either no one can use it or no one sees the need for it. So I think that most people, especially little kids, as you said, that's a good place to start because a lot of behavioral patterns that follow us into adulthood are cultivated when you're a child. Just like a lot of the patterns that you see, especially from being like my personal experience or being, you know, babysitting my neighbors and family members kids or being a camp counselor, I think that people who, or even my friends, like from my middle ones away who like don't like to eat certain things have had something when they were younger that made them stray away from not eating that or that they weren't able to taste it as a child so they are even more apprehensive to taste it as an adult so i think as you said starting at the school level to kind of teach students about you know healthy eating and how they can how they have the power to to control what they eat and i think that it's like when you have a little baby to nurture your little project you become very passionate about it and I think that a yeah. garden can do that in some way. Like, you want to tend to it. You want to – and seeing crops grow, you're just, like, get so giddy. You're like, wow. Exactly. This is really it's like a science project. You're like, all right, something like this. <laughs> and I think that that even regardless of your age, I can't speak to everyone, but I know that even now just cultivating something out of nothing would make me, like – brim with happiness because you're like wow I did that (laughs) so I think that getting the community involved from all ages at all levels is important and I know that a lot of places either you can develop the space you do a rooftop garden you you might not need but a lot of people have you know land that is you know closed off and nothing's happening or they're you know using it to develop another tall glass building like that nobody no. needs. Yeah. <laughs> so you that's can, you know, that. whole <laughs> yeah. that's a whole another thing. Ooh, yeah, that's another topic. Um but, but I, think I, I, that, I, I think that there needs to be I mean a lot of these are like owned when I don't know who owns it either at the local level or the federal level. I think that there should be more and who gets that land or who mm-hmm. like what it's used to develop, what the property is being used for. And I think that rather than like buildings, maybe like an actual grocery store or as we were yeah. talking about, a, a community garden, like use the land for something that will that will nourish the community. And I think that everyone should be involved in it because everyone of all ages and you know, ethnicities, backgrounds live there. So so yeah. That is like literally. I wish, I kind of wish you were like, like a professor or like a teacher, and you could just like, because the youth of today they need to hear. Not even just that, but just like you make a point about yeah. If we if we teach children when they're younger, ideally they will continue those habits in their adulthood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, I can imagine be like. Uh, Viv, how, how, how your little pea plants doing? How, how's, you know, like, I, I start thinking about, um, like, Daphne sending us those pictures. Cause you're right, like, yeah, when you have something, you get, ex- I mean, I only have an orchid, so like, you know, it's not food, but, mm-hmm. um, it is. You're like, oh my gosh, it's growing. It's still something. People tell me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But like, I ain't got no green thumb, but like you know, like my little orchid, she in the window, she thriving, she surviving. But um, girl, wait, so are you currently growing anything right now? I am not, but my sister is. She's like a plant mom. I guess she, she or manager. She oversees a lot of plants. She is obsessed with them, and I we had a lot of plants growing up, but then. I don't know what happened to them. They went away. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, think we both I, don't, I don't even know. But I think no, no we, 
always had a liking for plants, and more recently, my sister has started to cultivate that interest again. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll join the bandwagon. But I too am afraid of like not watering it or you know having the leaves dry out and not knowing what to do. So I'm afraid I do not have a green thumb, but I will try. But then those are valid fears. <laughs> yes, but you know, my, it's my life goal to have my own community clinic and live off the land. <laughs> yes, indeed. And then that what happens? We gonna be <laughs> down the road <laughs> like this. Hey, remember when you were like, I'm going to do this, and then boom, it's like, right. hey, look, I did that thing. Trust and believe. Right, right. I'm, like, so interested in, I'm, like, just growing what you want and just eating from the land, like, just eating mm-hmm. from the land. Like, I was never... I was always a bit unsettled by how many hands there are from, like, the from the field to your, like, your fork, so to speak. And I was like, why, why, why? Why do there need to be so many people? It's like, it's so cool to see, you know, using your land to cultivate something or, and if you can't finish it all, you know, giving away to people. So they, they can do That's it too. True. So, yeah, I definitely have always, or have a newfound passion for agriculture. I would say maybe started an undergrad, especially being in the ag school. Agriculture environment, sustainability is so so fun. It's so interesting. It's so important. And yeah. yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I guess um so and you can like take as much time as you want to like think about this, but you know, normally because we've we've covered like a like a lot like you know and we've mm-hmm. only you know touched the surface because this could be you know an ongoing ongoing conversation. Um, mm-hmm. When people listen to your episode, what do you want your main takeaway points to be? Like if they didn't get anything, mm-hmm. I mean obviously like they're gonna you know be hang on every word because hello it's you. But um, <laughs> what would you say? the main um, takeaway that you want the listeners um, to have? I would say, uh, number one, that food is a right. That should be everyone's, you know, know that it's a right. And if you kind of have that mentality, you'll see how everything that we're doing to address the lack of food is not embodying that sentence. Like, it's really not. So it's just understanding how the right having but having healthy food is a right for everyone and how we can use that mentality to create or address the problems that are preventing people from having that right fulfilled or from yeah. And I think secondly, um our current approach to reforming should is it should we have an anti hunger approach? or an anti-poverty approach. And by that, I mean, like, we are currently working on providing solutions that will stop hunger. And I think that that's what we, what's one of the things we spoke about, where it's like, okay, you have food banks, you have, you know, food rescuing banks, but it's like, when this, those systems start to become exhausted, especially like in a time like this, where a lot more people need food because a lot more people cannot afford it or because they were laid off or, you know, their paycheck is divided between taking care of their children now and they were not, they didn't used to receive federal aid, but now they do. And also federal aid, you, it's not just sign a form and you get, like, apparently they have wait lists for things like Head Start, which is like a program for, for kids. And it's like, it's not so easy to get aid. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that we need to realize that we need to equip people with, we need to address the problem, which is that people are not getting paid livable wages. Poverty is a real thing. Housing and affordable housing is usurping most of people's paychecks. And so there is no, there's probably not much money left on the check to save and to pay for food. So it's like we need to address that problem so that we can ensure that we don't have to like throw we don't have to throw these you know temporary solutions at the issue rather than like addressing the actual issue so i mm-hmm. think food is a right we need reform 
that is not going to be a Band-Aid or a solution or that will dwindle when things, when the demand is high, and that we should all ensure that we're, and that uh, this is not only a problem in the United States. Like, it's a global issue. A food insecurity Definitely. and it's a global issue and it's tied in so many, there's so many factors that, that cause it and that it can cause. Like, it's, uh, everything is so inter- interconnected that it's, it's it beyond is, me. I really it touch on, like, on global things today, but with the, you know, with the whole trading and, like, borders being closed. A lot of, you know, countries in, in Africa are, are, or a lot of countries a lot of, around the world. Um, but more specifically in Africa, I was reading about, like, how Kenya and, like, Somalia are going through, like, serious locust storms, which are, like, destroying their crops and things like that. And then with countries having their borders closed, like, how does that affect trade? How does it affect people who, you know, rely on systems like that to get the food that they need or, you know, to cultivate the food for for the people around them? So I think that we have to remember that it's a global issue, and when we think of solutions, we should think of scalable solutions. So not only things that will work in our hometown or in our state or in our our country, but across across the world. Mm-hmm. And systems that will last, not just for us. Exactly, and that will last. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. true. So true. See, I feel like if everyone had the thought process that you did, we honestly would be, like, in a much better place because – it's no one should have to think about like missing like a meal or exactly like prioritizing like do I want to yeah you know so I totally agree Um, I wish I could like hug you right now because you're like literally you're an angel and I feel like when people like listen to this it's really going to make them reflect because that's honestly like what what I'm hoping that when people listen they can see if their actions are aligned towards, you know, having a solution or alleviating this versus are their actions mm-hmm. not. Because, you know, like I said, like, you're an individual, I'm an individual, we're two people, but at the same time, it's like, you have a voice, and it's, right, it's right, like, right, yeah. yeah, you know, and being able to, I do you said a lot of that, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, go, girl, go Sorry for it. to interrupt you, but, like, listen. yes. No, not at all. Sorry, no. I'm going to add two things. Um, the, what you said, yes, everyone's voice is powerful. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who have great ideas, but, you know, either they don't have the opportunities to make those ideas come into fruition or, you know, they're a little bit, you know, reserved and they don't think that their voice will have any sway. But it's like, no, own your voice. If you are mm-hmm. thinking that, it's likely that someone else is thinking that and you guys can band together to do something. Like, I think we're all want to be, you know, that cowboy, the one who's like doing everything and that we did this on our own. But I think everything requires a collective and a diverse set of minds and people to get things done. So the power mm-hmm. of your voice is important. And secondly, you, none of this would be possible without you. So I'm happy and so grateful for you for providing me the space to be here and for your podcast and how far it's come. And I think that you are just unique in that you ask good questions, you're intelligent, and you provide the space to pe- for people to be comfortable and just to say what they want, to have, like, a, a natural conversation. So I didn't feel <laughs> yeah. throughout this. I didn't feel like, ooh, like, <laughs> what's going to happen? Like, even from, even virtually, you make people feel comfortable, and that is a skill that cannot be taught. So, kudos to you. I know you said that. But you are, you are like the light. And I'm so happy that you have this space and you're doing it to, to talk about a lot of important things. So, that's for you, honey boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, girl. Stop, stop. No, I would, I, like, I'm so thankful that, you know, like I said, like you made like this time for me. I know everyone has, you know, their own lives and just being able to express your like raw, unfiltered, true emotions on this. Cause that's, that's what I want it to be too. Like you said, having that space to where you, you have the freedom to like say how you mm-hmm. truly feel. Like, that is what this is supposed to be. That's what I want. I, I'm happy. Like I'm like, I'm literally like excited that you feel that way because then I feel I've, I've done what like, you know, I set out to. Mm-hmm. I don't want, 
you know, I don't want it to be like too structured. That's right. why, like you said, like having a conversation. That's that's pretty much what it is. You know, we are like mm-hmm. we have a topic and then we just kind of delve into it. You know, and I think that right. like us having this conversation, hopefully, when other people listen, that they'll also be able to, you know, get something out of what we talked about and spark own conversations with their friends. So. Exactly. And like you're very relatable too. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, yeah, so I think that that's, girl, I, I gotta say, like, pat yourself on the back, because if you was, like, asking me, I was like, okay, look, copy, paste, viv, like, hello, you know, <laughs> like, your heart is so big, I've all, like, you're such a good friend, and I've always, like, appreciated, like, having you in my life. We're gonna be here until we freaking, I don't know, taking it in our AARP days, I don't know. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> You know, I don't want you to ever, like, have a day that passes by where, like, you, like, do not feel appreciated because, like, the love is all there, girl. It's all there. I appreciate you so much. I'm, like, hugging you through the phone right now. I know. I'm literally, like, gripping my phone to my chest. I got healthy, but who cares? No, literally, I, like, held my phone and I was like, okay, this is going to be dead right now. Ah. (laughs) Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I hope that, like... Maybe. I mean, I don't know when, obviously, but, you know, hopefully when times are different, um, yeah. I'll come make a visit to New York City or... Oh, I'm going to go down to Atlanta. I need to. I need to <laughs> take a trip. Girl, you know There. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know my door is always, always, always open to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of See You at Key.